welcome to the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, a podcast on all things Marvel and the Fangirl Zone. I am Mischievous Dave. I am Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Steve, and today we're talking about episode six of season one of Moon Knight, titled God and Monsters, written by Jeremy Slater and directed by Mohammed Diab. Steve, we're going to have to make you an Egyptian god. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Osiris Steve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, last one, oh, uh, let's see, right up until the last one, they first they tweeted out that it was the uh, season finale, right? and they tore that down and put uh, series finale. I mean, it had a lot of people doing whiplash about yes. whether it's coming back or not. And then Oscar any- Isaac has posted, like, he wouldn't be sad if it's not renewed. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, wait a minute. What are you but trying? But he also said he'd do it any time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they're just messing with us at this point, to be yeah, honest. I whiplash you. So uh, <laughs> since it's the series or season finale, what was your uh, reaction, Sean? You got one? <sighs> I enjoyed it. I have more questions. And I'm like, come yeah. on. You guys can't leave us like this. And especially, like, the final, final reveal. It's like, what the hell? But, you know, since Dave likes to rate it without rating it, (laughs) I am going to rate it without rating it. And I'm going to give it four and a half kaiju conchus. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I'm at. Coincidence. Go ahead, Steve. (laughs) What you got? Well, I enjoyed the hell out of this episode. This was a lot of fun. And Scarlet Scarab, anyone? Yep. <clears throat> Say that five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> Scarlet Scarab, Scarlet Scarab, Scarlet Scarab. Yeah. Oh, getting done work. <laughs> what did you say about Trump Scampy? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I didn't like it as much as the previous entry. That one was a, an all-time classic. But I did give it four out of Well, like Sean said, we're not rating it. But if we did... <laughs> I give it four out of five. Just like Sean, raging kaiju battles. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, I'm like, well, I had just watched, uh, oh, crap. I don't even remember the the movie with the giant robots. I'm like having a brain fart. But I was just watching it like before I watched this episode. So that's why I'm like, it's the kaiju. Yep. And everybody's just cool about it, apparently, in Egypt. They're like, oh, yeah, that's happening again. Yeah, there was some debate as to whether the people of Cairo could actually see that. But since it was affecting, like, trees and shrubbery and <laughs> buildings and stuff, so I'm, I'm assuming they can, though. There didn't seem to be widespread panic. Well, I know everybody noticed the light. Or was that only supposed to be, which I'm sure we'll get to, and I'm sorry, only supposed to be Amit's followers? I thought it was everybody. So I just yeah. assumed everybody could see this. And they're like, yeah, oh. I thought- could see him too, but there's apparently some online debate. I mean, like, what? where's the where's the raging panic throughout Cairo or something? I don't know. Is is this yeah, like the one, old? Oh, go ahead. But one lady that she saves asks if she's a, an Egyptian superhero. Yeah, yeah. So she saw her. Oh, she saw her. Yeah, but yeah, what about now, the, yeah, the now, raging kaiju's. Yeah, we don't know if they saw Ahmet or. 
Konchu in this. But yeah, yeah. I'm starting to think that this was like old school Godzilla, where everybody in Tokyo is like, "Oh, okay, he's here again." All right. Yeah. You know, I was like, "Is that again. is that what's happening in Egypt?" I'm like, I definitely need to book a trip because not as exciting out here. I want to see the kaiju. What the heck? Oh, I, uh, you know, I meant to go back and try and find the part, but did you guys notice when all the avatars met? I mean, just jumping ahead a little. Maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get to it. That one of them like popped out and said, "What are your gods doing?" Did you hear that? No, I only yes. watched it once. Yeah. Dang it! Yeah, one did ask that, and it's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> yeah, what, what's this about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no, there was nothing after that, right? No, I'm trying to think. Well, that's uh, Odin's people. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I don't know. Well, okay, we'll get there. I guess. Okay, well, let's jump into the recap, which is so very long. Mm-hmm. As Moon Knight joins the fray, Mark, Stephen, and Kanchu must work together to stop Amit. Wow! Spoiler alert! Right, because <laughs> we didn't know that was coming. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and we pick up right where we left off as Arthur Harrow and his disciples surround Mark Spector's lifeless body, retrieving Amit's huge body from his pockets. Paying final respect, Harrow places the golden scarab on his bullet-ridden chest and apologizes. I'm sorry it had to be this way, Mark Spector's Stephen Grant. <laughs> Whoever else might be in there. Well, that's foreboding. Yeah, I heard some people were saying he, that's why he shot him twice, so he'd get Mark in, Steve. Yes. <laughs> I think he probably should have shot him about ten more times. <laughs> yeah. Just to make sure. Sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality. Approaching his disciples with amidst he was huge body in hand, Haro readies the congregation to heal the world as he lifts his double-headed crocodile cane, purple energy emanating from it. Well, it's not a double-headed anymore. No. <laughs> that was a awesome change. That was pretty cool. That's too bad Prince wasn't around to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Examining Mark's body, Layla stifles her cries for her husband and embraces him one last time. Pocketing the golden scarab and exiting the cave, Layla hides among the group of Haro's disciples. At a heavily guarded police checkpoint, the vehicles of Haro and his group are stopped. The Egyptian police department questioned Harrow's presence on this remote road. Stepping out of the tr- first truck and refusing to show their papers, Harrow demands instead for the police to show him their souls. <clears throat> Striking his scepter into the ground, purple energy emits from the chests of all the guards, and all but one had their soul ripped out of their body. Harrow proclaims the officer is a good man and welcomes him among his group of disciples. I love how that guy, when he kind of comes back, he's like, the hell just happened? Yeah. (laughs) It makes the whole thing, I mean, people, kind of whimsical on a part of uh, Harrow and Abbott. That is really measuring like that little old lady. Whether right. it's useful or not useful, actually, to Amit. That's why it seems that, to be boiling down to. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because I'm like, uh, okay, these are just all horrible people or <laughs> horrible for Amit's purposes, is what I was right. thinking. Right. As the disciples hurry to move the fallen bodies out of the way on the road, Layla quietly stalks behind them, prepared to enact revenge on Hara with the dagger. 
However, a voice from one of the dead bodies pleads with Layla to not do it. <laughs> Dismissing it, Layla proceeds forward and communicating with from another dead body closer to Leia. Tarawet introduces herself as an Egyptian deity and that it is Mark who is sending this message for her to stop. Tarawet cautions that Haro is too powerful for Layla to stop him on her own. If Mark can return to life, he will need Khonshu. Tarawet tells Layla to break Khonshu's Yuspati, currently held in the Chamber of the Gods. Tarawet states that Layla can be her avatar as Mark has told her lovely things about her. <laughs> which Layla aggressively rebukes. <laughs> yeah, that's well, you can be mine. It's like uh it's no funny to hear that voice on dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, those guys, and then you hear that like really soft like female voice coming out. It's like mm, yeah. that sounds like we can have a tea party and we can just go chill. It's like uh this is really weird because we just heard them very harsh. And so, total change, and I loved it. But I love how Layla was just mad that she even asked about her being her avatar. It's like, so, no! Keep, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going, I want more! <laughs> At the Chamber of the Gods, the avatars of each of the gods in the Aeneid arrive in a panic, sensing a great disturbance in the forest. Told you so. <laughs> a little yeah, late. No, Thanks, guys. Catch up, kids. Right? Yatil, the avatar of Hathor, asserts that someone is trying to release Amit into the world. Salim, the avatar of Osiris, realizes it's Haro. That's a real... That's like when Jean-Luc Picard just puts his... Picard puts his head in his hands like, oh, Yes. Now you're here? <laughs> yeah. Harrow and his disciples breach the chamber as the Aeneid's walls b- b- fall before them. In the chamber of the gods, Harrow welcomes his disciples to join him inside as Layla slips away from the main group. Noticing that the avatars lining up to oppose him, Harrow states that they're merely judges, not warriors. Therefore, a battle doesn't need to happen. As Slim makes the first move, Harrow raises his scepter. And just prior to that is when we got to see when somebody walks on. Some blonde hair, blue eyed, right? Asking about their gods. Right. Oh my and god, I, I gotta gonna, watch I, it right now. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were gonna identify him as, you know, part of the uh, Asgardians or something like right, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Him. I did read something about a cut scene that somehow okay. was um, linking this to the Eternals. So yeah. I wonder if there was something with that. Could be. Hmm. Question, As question. Slim makes the first move, Haro raises his scepter with the bodies of the Aeneid Avers strewn about. Haro smashes the Ushpati within the most sacred place inside the chamber, releasing Amit. Haro and his disciples kneel in the presence of the powerful deity. In her daunting and glorious presence, Amit asks to whom she owes her gratitude. <laughs> Looking at her intense crocodilian eyes while kneeling in reverence, Haro explains he's merely a humble disciple and the goddess owes him nothing. I, I, mean, st- I still think that was he was calculated by him. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know you don't need me. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but Amit look, did look awesome, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. So Amit states his scales lack balance as Haro lo- lowers his head, processing her judgment. Remorseful Haro acknowledges their st- status, hoping that his penance would correct any imbalance. Blah, blah. He accepts the skills regardless of the outcome. Good man. Elaborating, Amit uh, admits the lack of balance because of what lies ahead for Haro. Bracing for death, Haro closes his eyes and willing submits his life in order to spare the world of pain he will cause. Too late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amit elaborates again that what lies ahead is his service to her, delaying his death. 
she once relied on a servant whose scales balanced perfectly, which ultimately led her to being bound in the stone prison for over 2,000 years. See, it's it's all up to her. She can decide. Yeah. Not that it's not carved in stone. So <laughs> 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 confused, Taro offers his disciples all with balanced scales who would never betray her and are waiting for her command. They are worthy of her service. He is not. Blah, blah, blah. End it there, Harold. I know. I know. <laughs> Amit proclaims that he is the ideal avatar she needs, and it was Haro who set her free. Meh, meh. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Whatever. Har- Haro and Amit, they pretty much deserve each other. But placing her hand on Haro's head, seeing the scars he's endured, the goddess tells him that the pain of his past should not control you, referring to his previous servitude to Kanchu, or so we assume. Her power spreads within him as his eyes glow with Amit's purple energy. With the re- within the recesses of the Chamber of the Gods, Layla discovers the gallery, which seemed a lot like smaller to me. I don't know, maybe just me. Right. <laughs> Where all of the Ush- Ushbadis of the gods lie. Seeking the one that belongs to Kanchu, Layla grabs it and runs off. I really wanted her just to like start like throwing everything down, like bah, 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 right. bah. <laughs> Clear the place out. Let's let them all out. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Jason did say to me, he's like, but what if they were real jerks? Like, do we really want to let all of them out? And I'm like, "Uh, do you see what's happening? And he's like, what if they decide to ally with Amit? And I'm like, damn it. (laughs) Quit making sense. I just wanted to see a huge smash of all the gods and they're all come back. That would be a very Marvel thing to do, though. Yes, it would have. <laughs> Been like, let's figure this out later. Smash. <laughs> that definitely would have gotten the Eternals in the episode. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> <laughs> but by smashing the Ishbadi, Layla releases Kanchu. Standing before Layla, Kanchu remarks that he no longer senses Mark Spector in the world, realizing he has died fighting. Layla harshly corrects him that Mark died fighting your war. It's like, ooh, okay, calm down. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> Kanchu proclaims that the war is far from over, and if Mark is truly gone, will she, Layla Elfawali, I say her name wrong, I'm sorry, be his avatar and protect the travelers of the night? And pretty much pissed off Layla. <laughs> oh, big time. <laughs> she reminds Kanchu that you're the one who turned Mark's life into a waking nightmare. Why would I ever sign up to be your avatar? And Kanchu states that you can't win this alone, and Haro and Amit are just way too strong for just you. So Layla would rather take her chances than be part of his army. Kanchu reveals that Mark was in a crisis over her, and it was his lack of focus that got him killed. Oh yeah, that's going to win her over. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, no. (laughs) He's dealt with a lot of pissed off women, obviously. Obviously. To defeat Amit, they have to rebind the deity, but only an avatar can do that. Addressing her loyal followers, Amit, meanwhile, is telling the group that they'll purify the souls of the world, beginning with Cairo. And they head to the exit, but are suddenly blocked by Kanchu's presence. I'm like, okay, we finally get to see this. Everybody's seeing it, right? It's not just like Layla and Naro. Because <laughs> that would be really weird, I think. Amit tells Kanchu her plan is set and it's the same as anyone's. I'm here to bring balance. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, are you really? Which Kanchu dismisses and 
if you select a sinner like Haro to be your avatar, obviously you're not trying to balance anything. No. Amadeus amused at Kanchi's jealousy of Haro's loyalty to her. It's, really? Is that what it is? Kanchi demands Amit see that the loyalty means nothing if she and her disciples inherit an empty world, which I thought that line was interesting right. because does Kanchu know that the way Amit would do it, basically everybody's just dead, basically? I mean, except the few crazy people. Is it going to be worse than the snap? Right, absolutely. At the Field of Reeds, Mark Spector takes in the peace and beauty as Tarouette assures him that his scales are balanced, his heart finally full, his journey is over. Here, he is free from all pain, loneliness, and hurt. But Mark can only think about Stephen. Unfortunately, he's gone as the Duat now have him. Viewing it unfair, Mark demands that they go back for Stephen. However, if he leaves the field of reeds, he will never be able to return. Well, That's that a mighty sound. long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, never? And if he's free from hurt and pain, um, shouldn't he not be feeling anything for Stephen? Exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. There's tells him that he doesn't even need Stephen anymore, which further upsets Mark. Why should he go on to an eternal peace while Stephen remains lost in the sand forever? Mark turns back to search for Stephen as the field of reeds disappears. Back in the sands of the Duat, Mark sees Stephen's frozen in sand body and heads towards him. Emotional, Mark speaks to Stephen, acknowledging their dire circumstance. Opening his heart, he tells Stephen that it was his arrival that saved him from enduring his bleak childhood. He only survived because he knew he wasn't alone. That was pretty sad for me. I don't know about oh, you guys. Yes. But it's like, oh, this is painful. <laughs> Just he watching it. Yeah. Painful and weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he apologizes for failing to protect Stephen's hope and life. As Mark begins to turn to sand, he proclaims that he couldn't have abandoned him and gone to the fields of reeds without him. Placing his full heart in Stephen's hand, Mark remarks that Stephen was the real superpower that he never possessed. Mm. As both altars are frozen in sand the gates of Osiris's open behind them with the light beyond the gates shining upon them Mark and Stephen are no longer frozen in sand and they embrace as they see the gates opening with the sands of the Duat approaching them in a tsunami fashion Mark and Stephen help each other to race towards the open gates as Tarawet uses her boat to slow the sands I thought that was funny when was she's like, like or something. Right. <laughs> or when she's like, oh, Cyrus, you big softy. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it was really cute. I couldn't figure out what the whole tsunami thing was, though. It's right. like, yeah. yeah. Is it, like, like nobody's ever come back? Is that what that's supposed to be? And it wanted to reclaim them or like it's trying to push them out. I wasn't quite sure what it was supposed to be. Well, yeah, Osiris is the boss. You, yeah, me, me, mess with the duat. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you just you can just sail across it. That's all. <laughs> so Amit reflects on how Kanchu for a god is low on faith. The two <laughs> gods charge one another with the, within the chamber of gods in a vicious battle. The goddess takes her time enjoying her torment over Kanchu. Amit encourages him to beg her to spare him, but he firmly states he'd rather have obliteration than mercy. 
As Mark and Stephen cross through Osiris's gates, they reawaken in Alexander the Great's burial chamber back in their old body. <laughs> Sensing Mark back in the land of the living, Khonshu tr- transports himself to his former avatar before Amma can strike a savage blow. Hey, where'd he go? Mark struggles as he's still fatally wounded by the bullets in his chest. As a crucial events replay in his mind, Khonshu asks Mark once more if he chooses death or life at the cost of servitude to his master. Suddenly, Mark's body forces the two bullets out of his chest. Pop, pop. Yeah. <laughs> Regaining Conchu's protection, Mark's body is enveloped by the healing ceremonial Moon Knight armor. Meeting Conchu outside at the dig site, Mark approaches his master. Conchu jokingly remarks that he knew Mark missed him. Yeah. <laughs> to which Mark questions if Layla turned him down. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. <laughs> he knows the truth. Come on. Yeah. Now serious, Kanchu tells Mark he needs to help his help to defeat Amit. Now, switching seamlessly between their identities, Stephen as Mr. Knight appears asking to refine their working arrangement. Flabbergasted, Kanchu <laughs> is appalled that Stephen would negotiate now in the middle of a dire stuff of circumstances with so much at stake. And so exasperated, Kanchu states he will release them both. They have his word. Or <laughs> do they? Go- Go to the bank on that one. In the main chamber, Layla discovers a gravely injured Salim dragging him towards a hiding spot. Lifting him to safety in the hidden corridor, Layla reveals she was the one who released Khonshu. Layla asks the Avatar how they could stop Amit. With his last few breaths, Salim reveals that this chamber is the most powerful place within the walls. They need to imprison Amit in a mortal form, a body instead of a statue, so she will be vulnerable. However, to do it, they need more avatars than what they have left. With that, Salim succumbs to his injuries. Without other options, Layla calls out Tarouette. Speaking through Salim's body, Tarouette screams out her excitement. Dis- yeah, nothing like giving away her her location. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the disturbance signals to Haro and his disciples of Layla's presence in the location. Yeah, I guess she doesn't have much practice. <laughs> no. As Layla runs to her search for safety, avoiding falling chunks of stone, Harold uses his scepter to destroy the chamber of the gods. He has no respect for anything. No. When only bodies present, Tyra would speak to Layla while momentarily taking control of her body, delighted that Layla had a change of heart. That she was hilarious. Gone. Yeah. Come on with the back and forth. It's the happiest hippo I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> She's beyond thrilled to take Layla on as her temporary avatar, revealing that Layla's father will be soon over the moon once he hears. Whoa. Guess he gets to watch. Surprising uh, Layla, Tarawit shares that she met him when she accompanied him to the Field of Reeds. Outside of the Chamber of Gods at the peak of the pyramid and overlooking Cairo, Hiro lifts his scepter as he recites his an incantation. With purple lightning erupting around the sky, or purple rain, purple rain, <laughs> Harold calls upon his disciples across the city. With Amma's power funneled through them, her disciples begin judging people en masse, ripping souls from bodies. Amma grows in power as she swallows each new soul. That was so weird. Yes. Yeah, that was, like, really messed up. It's like, judge everybody! It's like, okay, calm down. That was very aggressive. Oh, she needs all that power from those souls. Yeah, air swallowing. Yeah, that's so weird. Mm. I, I have questions, though, before we go too far. Okay. Why did the other gods, why were they not able to heal their avatars? Well, let's see. They said earlier, if you're trapped in a human body, it'd be easier to keep her in her place. So does this apply now that they're released from their bodies? Well, they need more bodies. They'd have to, what? Release the other some ones? Some of the disciples? become avatars that's not going to happen right so that there's nothing nobody to inhabit i suppose hmm 
I was just wondering about that. But now that you say that about the being in the bodies, because they were obviously in the bodies. It wasn't just, you know, working through them at that point. Mm. <laughs> so that does make a little more sense. So does that mean those four are gone forever now? Is yeah, that what they're trying so. to tell us? I guess so. That's what I would assume. Yep, yep me too. Hmm. If we get another season, maybe we'll find out. So, within the chamber, Layla emerges among the rubble. <clears throat> now that she's the avatar of Tarawet, Layla stands before us as the Scarlet Scarab in a ceremonial armor, complete with dun da 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 wings. Yeah. Well, the god. Just to go back to our last point, the gods aren't dead. They just have nowhere to go, I suppose. Right. Right? They can't manifest in physical form because they don't have an avatar. Yeah. Please continue, see, young lady. Yeah. <laughs> see, now I'm going to keep thinking, like, okay. but, but what about, because Kanchu <laughs> had, like, manifested when his avatar was dead. That's why I'm like, what? <sighs> anyway. All right. Did he? Uh, yeah, yeah. When he was fighting Amit before yeah. Mark came back. Okay, I'll let me think on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so confused. Whoa. As Haro continues his incantation, <laughs> I love this, out of the corner of his eye, he spots a flash of white lightning shooting towards him. Now, if we could just go back a second, because yeah. that was pretty funny when it's like, how are we going to get there? We're so far away. And Kanchi was yeah. like, uh, yeah, I got this, remember? Travelers of the night, and uh, I love how uh, Stephen's like, "Yeah, Mark, you you take this one." Yeah. <laughs> so let me think. I was thinking on this. So, Conchie was talking to Layla. Yeah. Right? And he shouldn't be able to. Well, he, okay, he's, he was released from his stone prison. Right. I, I don't know how he can manifest himself unless it was <laughs> the same time that uh, Osiris freed. St- uh, Stephen Mark, and that's what allowed him to talk with uh, Layla, because he did say I, I sense him back in the real world. Right. But he should, but he, I think he was talking to Layla before that, though. Yes, he was. Yeah. So that should. So I don't know. <laughs> he, he's not. He's not reading the rules. Somebody's not reading the rules. <laughs> well, it may be because they were in the temple of the gods, and yeah. the others were not. Their avatars were there, but they're off in their other little. Oh yeah, what, what they call it? dimension, the overdriver. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it's called. Yeah, maybe that's it. Okay. Oh, that's a lot of loopholes in his contract here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I start finding the weird stuff. It's like, wait a second. But anyway, let's go back to the flashing white light shooting towards him. We get to realize, along with Haro, that it's Moon Knight. And he is charging at his rival. Their power battle carries out into the sky, which was pretty interesting. With Moon Knight and Mr. Knight switching seamlessly among each other, preventing Haro's hold, just as Amit and Kanchu mirror the fight in their own battle on a colossal scale. Kaiju fight. <laughs> Amit sees no difference in their causes. Why must they do this dance for the rest of time? Kanchu only punishes the people who have committed evil, as does Amit, but she doesn't allow them the satisfaction of completing their evil. <sighs> you know, that's... I don't know. I, I don't feel like that's a good thing, but at the same time, do you really want them to complete it? It's like, and what are you considering evil? Are you mad that somebody jaywalked? I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> that's when you start ringing the bullshit bell. Bullshit. Ding, 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 ding. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Once more, Ahmed asks Kanchu to join alongside her. Kanchu fights back as it's his choice, the very thing that Ahmed removes from other people. Haro and Moon Knight slash Mr. Knight land in the middle of a heavy populated area. And before Haro can blast him with a scepter, Scarlet Scarab flies in and knocks Harrow out of the way. She deflects one of Haro's blasts with her wings, which were pretty cool, sending the force mm. back onto him. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, there's already a pop, a Funko Pop of the Scarlet Scarab with wings <laughs> out. Nice. <laughs> Mark and Layla quickly embrace... Both equally shocked to see the other, Steven suddenly switches with Mark, lavishing praise onto Layla. Ready to show Layla his new set of skills, Mr. Knight, armed with his truncheons, truncheons? Truncheons. Okay. Run towards Haro, taking down every disciple along the path. As a team, Scarlet Scarab and Moon Knight charge at Haro in a coordinated takedown. I can't talk. One of Haro's blasts from his scepter hits a van full of Egyptian civilians who are trying to escape the area. Scarlet Scarab flies over to save a young girl that would have been hurt had the van overturned on her. This was the part where you asked if she was an Egyptian hero, which I'm like, okay. Moving all the civilians away from the van, the crowd cheers in awe and with pride as an Egyptian superhero has protected them. And this, I don't know if we're talking about this later, I did notice that the director stated that Scarlet Scarab is doing for the Egyptian people what Black Panther did for um, African American, well, Africans. And I'm like, okay, like they mm-hmm. have their, they have somebody to look on and see themselves because representation does matter. Unleashing his rage upon Mark, Harold claims that young Randall's life would have been saved, and Mark's family happy had Amit been allowed to rule and remove one weed from the garden, a.k.a. Mark. I was a little pissed with that, I will tell you. (laughs) Because if it's evil, Mark didn't do anything evil. No. So that just, like, He just had a mistake in judgment that got his brother killed, so. Yeah. Okay, putting it that way, it doesn't sound any better. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I was just so mad the way he said it. It's like, oh, you are a POS. We'll talk about that later. Mark is suddenly overwhelmed by Harrow's power, probably because he was a little taken aback by that comment. His crescent blades tossed, pinning Layla to the van. Not good. As Harrow stalks towards him like a predator, and he has trapped his prey. Laying on the ground, part of Moon Knight's armor blown to bits and mask retracted, Mark's specter is in obvious pain. In the distance above the night sky, Mark witnesses Amit bringing Kanchu to his knees, losing as well. Again, very interesting watching both of them play out. Mm. With the scepter unleashing Amit's power onto him, and the odds look quite grim. Mark looks over and sees disciples unloading a fury of bullets onto a cornered Layla. I was a little ticked with that myself, but... Yep. Mark loses consciousness, then suddenly opens his eyes in a daze, discovering he's holding an unconscious and brutalized Haro in one hand and a broken scepter to Haro's head in the other. Mm, probably shouldn't have woke up yet. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Surrounding. I wonder what he looks like? Does he look like Moon Knight when he does that? Or does he look like a cab driver? Yeah. <laughs> he's got that little hat. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure he looks just like Moon Knight. 
Okay, wow. Well, I don't know. It might be a third costume. Yeah, it could be. Wait, See, aren't you the comic? I'm saying, aren't you the comic book guy with this one, Dave? What's going on? Shouldn't you know? Yeah, what no, like? they're all. They're all. They all look like Moon Knight. Oh. Until Mister Mister Knight appears, but uh, yeah, no, there isn't. A, they're in the comics, but uh, this isn't the comics, and they have made their changes. So it's too bad we didn't get to see something like that. A lot of people <laughs> were mad about that, by the way. Oh. That they felt like. It was kind of a cop out, not showing us anything till the very end. But <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get to that. But surrounding Mark, there are bodies of Harrow's disciples, and well, mass destruction that he can't account for. I love how Mark then asks Stephen, "Is this you're doing?" And Stephen's like, mm-hmm. "Not a chance, mate." <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, Stephen would be quite to that point. But confused, he drops. Haro and looks over to see a mortified Layla. He can't explain what happened because he blacked out. Well, Layla watched it, right? So, like, yeah. she should tell us something. Yeah. But interrupted in the distance, Layla and Mark see Amit dragging a defeated Conchu. Layla knows how to end this. She tells Mark to grab Haro and the pieces of the scepter. Back in the chamber of the gods, they place an unconscious and beaten to all hell Haro onto a slab of stone. The power in the room will help them bind Amit to Harrow's vulnerable body. I hate saying that word. I always say it wrong. Sorry. (laughs) Holding hands, they begin an incantation as energy flows from them and through the statues of the Enid within the chamber. I love how they just knew it. It's like, I mean, Kanchu's kind of down for the count. I'm guessing it was all Tauret that pretty much was like, all right, I know this one. Just follow me. Yes. (laughs) The circle of energy begins to feed into Haro as Amit realizes what's happening. Feeling herself sucked back towards the chamber, looking a little pissed off. Speaking through Haro, Amit threatens that they'll never be able to contain her. She'll never stop. Sounds like a madman to me. With Kanchu and Tarawet no longer in control of Mark and Layla's respective bodies, Kanchu tells Mark to finish it and end Haro slash Amit, leaving neither of them alive. While he lives, so too does she. Wow. Super, like, creepy sounding. Okay. Mark believes that he has to do this, otherwise he'll never be free. But Layla stops him, reminding him that he is free and that this is his choice. I was like, no, do it. End this. (laughs) Believing that Kanchu now sounds exactly like Amit, Mark lets go of Harrow. If Kanchu wants them dead, he'll have to do it himself. Now Kanchu must release Mark and Steven. That was very specific. Mm. Kanchu begrudgingly complies and leaves. (laughs) Never trust a god. No, never, ever. A glimpse of the white void. Steven is back in Dr. Haro's office questioning if this is what reality looks like. He asks the doctor if he believes that Kanchu and Amet are real. Haro responds no, he does not. As he gets up and walks back to his chair, Mark voice poses that they disagree and believing in something different. Dr. Haro deduces that their work here continues. Looking at the floor, Mark notices Haro's trail of bloody footprints, which leaves the doctor perplexed. (laughs) I guess so. Realizing that Haro doesn't know as much as he leads on, Mark and Steven refuse to accept his diagnosis. Instead, they rather go save the world. Later, Gators. 
Mark suddenly wakes up in Stephen's apartment flat, his legs shackled by his homemade restraints. The sound, sand around the bed is undisturbed. Mark calls out to Stephen out loud if he's there, to which Stephen responds that he can't believe it worked. Mark, however, can't <laughs> believe Stephen lives with this freaking mess. Yeah. <laughs> Something <laughs> of I... Of course, <laughs> falls out of the bed. Right. That was yeah. funny. Something I noticed when they were in the uh, asylum moment, like when he was talking to Haro, I swear he's doing that talking through his teeth thing again, which I was assuming was Jake. Yes, there was a, a moment in there that Jake appeared. Okay. And I'm still... Because something was sent, I think it was Dave sent it to us about this whole thing is really all in Stephen's head, and the asylum is the real part. I'm thinking this this had a very um, oh crap. What was it? Buffy the Vampire Slayer in one of the, the episodes. Like it's supposed to be, she's got this whole world in her head, and she's really in an insane asylum. Right. I kind of had that feel for a second, and I'm like, hmm. Now I'm really wondering which could be real. I'm gonna go with the the world with the gods because that being in an insane asylum was just too sad. And I love the fact that there was two fish at the end. I was hoping Layla was yes. somewhere around, mm-hmm. but that was odd. Yeah. The not two fish thing. No, not having Layla around. How could she not be part of this the ending like this? Right. Maybe she know. went to go get breakfast. Yeah. Brother. No, I convinced now the gods world is real too. This uh the uh the psychiatric ward where he's talking to Harlow, that's all a mental construct. And they just fell back into that mental construct until they decided to just leave it. And right. he knows the truth about uh, Haro. No, he knows that in real life Harlow's walking around with bloody feet. <laughs> Glass issues. They never did explain that, but no, I'm just no, assuming that's, it's that's supposed to be a, penance. I, yeah, I pref- yeah, no, I know. Yeah. yeah he's just torturing himself. That's weird. <laughs> We all do that. Uh, At the Psychowitz Psychiatric Hospital, a disheveled and sedated Arthur Harrell knocks over a cup of coffee into his drawing. The hospital attendant signals that it's time for bed. However, as as she approaches Harrell, a glove man tells her in Spanish that he's got him and he begins to wheel Harrell away. As they're heading down the hallway, Harrell grows concerned as he begins to notice slump bodies in the hallway. In the reception area, Harrell is placed inside a long white limo as the driver heads to the front seat. Looking across from him, Harrell spots Conchu in a white formal suit because it's prom night. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> why they're in the limo. Can't hurt us. <laughs> Bemused Conchu reveals that he never wanted Layla as avatar as they, after they parted ways. Why would he ever need another avatar when Mark doesn't realize how troubled he truly is? As the limo uh, window divider rolls down, Conchu introduces Haro to Mark's third altar, Jake Lockley, who shoots him. The limo with the plates SPKTR Spectre drives off into the unknown. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Was awful rough in that scene. They had a white suit on, but the beak was almost was all gone, and it was weird how they yeah like shrank him down so much, and maybe that's what it was. Yeah, in the Jeff Lemire comics, that's how he appeared to young uh, Mark Spector, too, in a suit dress like that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, somebody posted a a photo, and it had the limo and everything. But I don't understand the Jake Lockley thing. I thought he was supposed to be a cab driver. I mean, granted, cab drivers can ride limos, whatever. But And I thought he was supposed to be from New York. Yeah, well, we don't know if we're going to see a season two or not. 
<laughs> they say not, but I don't believe them. Right. They told us we weren't getting any more Loki either, so yeah, right. there's that. Well, yeah, I don't understand why the imagery behind you have to be a, a limo. I mean, it's just fun, I guess. <laughs> maybe that's what maybe that's what Kanshu prefers. I'm not going to ride in a cab. Right. <laughs> so, what do we what do we got next? Anybody interested in Easter eggs? I love oh, Easter yeah. eggs. Even if it's after Easter. Yes. Yep. So. So Moon Knight's episode six uh, intro song confirms Mark's death. The Moon Knight's season one finale begins. See that? He said season one. <laughs> Be- yep. Begins Earl Grant's crooning his 1958 song, The End, a number chosen to commemorate the death of Mark Spector. Grant, Earl, not Stephen, sings about the end of a story at the end of a river, which relates nicely to Mark's arrival on the field of reeds who, after successfully crossing the Duat. Moon Knight's choice of soundtrack serves as a confirmation that Mark is properly dead at this point and nothing short of divine intervention will spare him. Well, it's a good thing we got a lot of gods bouncing around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ibis statue in Amit's tomb foreshadows Arthur Harrow's future. Alexander the Great's tomb, the final resting place of Amit, was introduced back in Moon Knight Episode 5 after Stephen and Layla discovered the legendary burial chamber. When Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow crouches over Mark's watery corpse, in Moon Knight Episode 6, however, the tomb's Ibis statue, the heron-like bird, comes prominently into frame. <clears throat> the sacred bird carries vast swaths of symbolism within the ancient Egyptian culture, but one meaning behind the Ibis is balance. The statue sitting unevenly in Harrow's right uh, may, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore, foreshadow Moon Knight's later uh, revelation that Amit deems her servant impure. The scales do not balance. That's going pretty deep. Because I, I mean, as much as you try to take everything in, I did not even notice that. And then the fact that they're putting it so like, oh, look at it was a little off and it was leaning this way. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get it. You're trying to make this huge, huge, like, world and show us the symbolism. But cheese and rice. (laughs) Like, if you're going that deep, you're going to have to send everybody notes. Because that's a lot. Yeah, they tilted the fight scene between uh, Moon Knight and, and Harrow. Also, I mean, you Harrow, excuse me, Harrow's at the top of the, the pyramid. And instead of flying to the top of the pyramid, you know, Mark <laughs> lands just below him. And then they turn the scene and, like, they're running at each other. I mean, it was cool. See, again, didn't even think about that because I'm just like, oh, it's how they're framing it. Okay, it's on a pyramid, blah, blah, blah. But it's, like, really interesting now that it's out there it's like oh it's like how the scales were is it gonna be a balanced fight is it in one favor or the other and i think they did the same when we had our kaiju gods now i'm gonna have to watch this again and look at it totally differently well you'll love it it's fun <laughs> so uh moon Knight's episode six transforms may columnway's layla into the mc's mcu's version of the scarlet scarab and it's transition teased with all the subtlety of Jake Lockley street fight, right? Yeah. We've had we've had the little scarab nickname referring to the red scarf and the finger bandage worn during Mark's hospital vision. <clears throat> Before paying all these hints off, Moon Knight episode six drops two more moments of Scarlet Scarab foreshadowing. Wow. That was a tongue twister. <laughs> First, Layla re- seizes the scarab-shaped compass Arthur Harrow leaves perched on Mark's lifeless chest. Then Conchu paraphrases her father by using the nickname Little Bug. Yeah, he's been around. Um, you know what? Uh, 
leaving that uh, scarab there, I thought that she would grab it because it floats out of her hand, right? Yep. And so I was, I thought for sure she's just going to use that to track them. And that's how they were. But then the next thing you know, she's actually with them. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was kind of dumb, leaving it thinking, yeah, okay, anybody can track me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil geniuses that can be, be pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark and Stephen's Moon Knight hug copies a, a comic book movement. Cool. I disrupt Mark Spector, rescue Stephen Grant from the Duat damnation. His full balanced heart proving enough to thaw out the frozen altar. Mark acknowledges Stephen saved his life and delighted to be out together again. They share an emotional embrace. Huh. I wonder if he leaked the, the brother he lost. I never thought of it that way. Right. Wow. <clears throat> this scene pulls squarely from Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight number nine, in which Mark bids farewell to his altar and hugs Stephen before he goes. Though the two Oscar Isaacs hug back in episode four's hospital sequence, this posthumous reunion feels thematically closer to the comic scene. So, is this when they used his brother again? <laughs> so he's not, like, hugging air? <laughs> Probably. <clears throat> Speaking of Layla, by accepting a gig as Tarot's human altar, <laughs> I don't know how she's going to turn this down, though. If there is a future, then, well, that was fun. Can we do this again? <laughs> <laughs> Layla Alfauli becomes an MCU version of the Marvel <laughs> comic character known as the Scarlet Scarab. Her superhero costume incorporates a scarab motif in the torso and wings, and even includes a red scarab logo upon the chest. I was disappointed not to see uh, some headgear. Right. You know, even uh, like, something like a tiara with the uh, a serpent on it or something like that. Yep. Or a scarab, whatever. Or hippo ears. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that that <wiggle>. flick. Yeah. <laughs> Layla's comic proxy, uh, Marlene Arlan, had absolutely no connection to the Scarlet Sarah, but several Moon Knight Easter eggs pay tribute to the original. Layla's father was Abdullah El Fowley, while the first person to hold the Marvel Scarlet Scarab title in the comics was Abdul Faul. And whereas Ab- Abdul passed his superhero persona down to his son, Tyrwood claims that Layla's father would be overjoyed to learn of the hero she becomes. <laughs> She said, you can talk to my father? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a minute here. <laughs> yeah. We mentioned earlier Arthur Harrell's bloody feet. So Moon Knight's final battle is brought to a rapid conclusion courtesy of Jake Lockley's blackout. And before you can say, oh, bollocks, Moon- <laughs> <laughs> or you donut, Moon Knight throws Stephen and Mark back into therapy uh, with Dr. Harrow. I wonder how much he's charging him. This time, both Oscar Isaacs break through the illusion, assuming it is an illusion, and I'm saying it is too, when they notice Harrow leaving a trail of bloody footprints as he walks. This image calls back to Moon Knight's very first scene in which the cult leader filled his sandals with broken glass. Yeesh. Stephen reclaimed Moon Knight's later gator's catchphrase. Yes, as Mark and Stephen wake up in the latter's London apartment, Engelburn's Humperdinck, A Man Without Love, plays in the background. This was, of course, a song Moon Knight opened with way back in episode one. Mark and Stephen also appeared to be wearing the same pajamas from Moon Knight's premiere, and despite the two alters making friends, they still use Steve's ankle restraint, presumably because they're vaguely aware of Jake Lockley lurking in the shadows. Or <laughs> or it's just Jake Lockley making sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the similarity between Moon Knight's first and final episodes create a sense of coming full circle. Stephen Grant is right back where he started, but this time Mark Spector is a friend, not someone to remain fearful of. So is he going to go back and get his job back? Yeah. I kind of doubt it. Yeah, I, I think he's going for yeah. a different line of work now. He'll be an archaeologist. Yep. Mark and Stevens, two pet goldfish, yes. 
The two goldfish are better than one, and this Moon Knight Episode 6 Easter egg shows Gus's, the two-finned imposter, now accompanied by a second little swimmer. It's a neat representation how Mark and Stephen have finally found balance and harks back to the episode title of Moon Knight's episode number one, The Goldfish Problem. A problem no longer. The problem in question may not have been Gus suddenly growing an extra fin, but how Gus, much like Stephen, was lonely. Oh, presumably a piranha in a final cap is just about out of shot. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> driving a maybe, taxi around. Maybe there's a little cab in the bottom of the tank that we missed. Yeah. <laughs> all, all that stuff in the bottom of the tank actually appeared during, in the show, too, including the, the doors of uh, Osiris. When Moon Knight first switched abruptly from Alexander the Great's tomb to a pristine white psychiatric hospital in episode four, a rubber duck could be spotted underneath the TV showing the tomb buster. When Moon Knight's post-credit reveals Arthur Harrow in a psychiatric facility of his own, the sequence once again begins with a rubber duck, this time dressed like Dr. Harrow from Mark's Mind Hospital. A second rubber duck can then be spotted in a desk near where Jake Lockley killed a staff member. <clears throat> wow, that's a lot of rubber ducks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moon Knight's last QR code sets up a Kang the Conqueror. Now, raise your hand if you tried to get that last QR code. I didn't see it. Damn it. I couldn't couldn't get my phone. It wouldn't grab it. It was like... um, Too small? square on the screen. Right. It was kind of off at an angle. Yeah. Moon Knight's episode had been peppered with QR codes. Now, viewers can scan to download free Marvel comic books, and typically these comics relate to their respective episode. Moon Knight Episode 6 Easter Egg QR code is easily the most exciting that leads the fans to Moon, Moon Knight Annual Number 1, an epic battle between the titular hero and Kang the Conqueror. Oh, that's foreshadowing. Yeah. Having sort of debuted in Loki, Kang is widely tipped as the MCU's new overarching villain, and he will appear in the Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Does this final QR code imply Moon Knight will be involved in MCU's Kang battle? Oh, that's interesting. So So maybe. So so here's a thought. Here's a thought. All right. Now we're going tinfoil right here. (laughs) So we might not be getting a season two of Moon Knight, but what if we're getting Moon Knight and Scarlet Scarab, but first we're going to get them in Loki and that's why they're not officially announcing it as a season two because they're changing the name. Right. Mm. I mean, it's a thought. And we're going to see him in Loki first and then possibly in Ant-Man. Hell, I haven't gone to see Doctor Strange yet. They could be in there for all we know. <laughs> so, I never heard about that one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I wish so. <laughs> Some people can keep secrets really well. Just saying there was one particular person in the last Spider-Man that I was like, what? How did I not hear about this? So, <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Tinfoily, but possible. <laughs> yeah. So, why does Jake Lockley drive a limo arriving in... Because he's not in New York. Arriving in a limo <laughs> is in a fairly ostentatious way to make your Moon Knight debut. Where does Jake Lockley's ride come from? In the Marvel comics, Lockley drove a taxi, so sh- chauffeuring a limo would be an example of the MCU's creative leeway. And that they do. Another explanation of Moon Knight finally introducing a key element of Stephen Grant's comic book backstory. Stephen is a millionaire in the source material. A trait, no doubt, perpetuates those Bruce Wayne comparisons. Yeah, that was a problem for them. Uh, affording London rent prices on a gift shop wage is certainly impressive, but Oscar Isaac Stephen should show, shows no signs of wealth. Does that mean Jake Lockley has a big bank balance in Moon Knight? <sighs> I was thinking that was instead of getting like the ceremonial robes. For some reason, it... it <laughs> came up as a freaking limo. Hmm. It's like, yeah, this is my 
robe instead. Uh, so as Jake reveals a helpless Arthur Harrow to Conchu's waiting limo, the hospital name is revealed as Sankovic Psychiatric Hospital. This is a loving, perhaps not, to a renowned 1980s Moon Knight comic book artist, Bill Sankowitz. I think so. Yep. And sprinkle all that in there with the names of the, the artists. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would be happy. <laughs> being remembered as the site possible, but whatever. They, yeah. They, they found a way to do it. The flat cap that Oscar Isaac wears while he's playing Jake Lockley represents a nod towards his particular Alters Marvel comic counterpart who would often wear the same charcoal gray headgear. Yep, that's pretty signature. Conchu uh, is a, in a suit of mirrors his comic appearance. Conchu can't help but gloat while revealing Jake Lockley as his new avatar and has even purchased a smart new tuxedo for the occasion. <laughs> Having previously adorned himself exclusively in bandages and robes, the white suit represents a stark fashion statement from Khonshu, but his styles, but it's a style his comic guys is already very familiar with in the Jeffler Verum run, which Moonlight follows with such adulation features Khonshu wearing more or less exactly the same white threads. Yep, with his thumbs tucked underneath the, uh, the collar there. <laughs> Under the lapels. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Hey, at least he didn't give Haro um, slash Amit, you know, a, a corsage. That might have been a little weird when he got <laughs> Do you have a problem with not seeing him actually die? Just flashes inside the limo? I never believe that somebody dies unless we see it on screen. And then it's still iffy, depending right. on, <laughs> on what we're watching. So the license plate on Jake Luckley's limo reads Spectre, more or less. Obviously, a note to Mark Spectre, the license plates really come from the Moon Knight comics, where Steven's limo is, re- is fitted with precisely the same lettering. No, I, I had a knee-jerk reflex to Spectre, the DC hero. Right. He's kind of big and ghostly himself. So my, uh, Moon Knight's final song explains Conchu's return. The Moon Knight closes that with Frank Sinatra's My Way of Life, a song that tacitly explains the newly forged relationship between Jake Lockley and Conchu. You know, it, it can't be too long before Stephen and, and uh, Mark figure out what's going on. It just can't. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So lyrics include, uh, you are my way of life. The only way I know I'll never let you go. Oh, man. Uh, the line could apply equally to Lockley, a, a lover of violence now free to kill under Khonshu's influence or the Egyptian god himself, who has chosen Mark Spector as the idol host to his various altars. Hmm. It sucks. But I mean, he did let go of mark and steven he was very specific the way he said it because that's how steven worded it so he didn't exactly lie yeah but it yeah. still can't last i mean they, those two no. are gonna have to figure <laughs> right out. they're and gonna figure they just, it out and they refer to mark specter on the limo so and mark yeah. specter is moon knight <laughs> so this can't last come on season two yes. <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode of this season and any upcoming seasons. Our <laughs> deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and a review. It helps all the fans of the show find us as there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you're enjoying our... Yeah, but they don't have limos like we do. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell your friends, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. You can check us out at www.fangirlzone.com. We have a contacts page where you can reach us various ways. And yes, even though we will not be answering it live on air, if you send us something, we will still answer you specifically. 
even after the season slash series is over. Hopefully it's just the season. But anyway, <laughs> for this episode of the Marvelous Post-Split Podcast, I'm Steve. Well, we did learn from the best, you silly old bird. I'm Sean Fangirless, and did you see those kaijus, or did I eat something weird? <laughs> and this is Mr. Miss Dave, and I want Layla to take me under her wing. Um, her wings. <laughs> wings. <laughs> <laughs> There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat. There is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the fangirl zone. (laughs) 